0: Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. We'll begin reading in just a moment. This is part 3, as you'll see on your handout, of a five-part study of the book of Galatians. Not a verse-by-verse study, but a look at five key concepts that are rooted in his teaching in this book of Galatians. And we have already studied the concept of being rescued, which we saw in the first four and five verses. We studied last week the concept of being justified. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 16, last week. Tonight, we're taking up this idea of being crucified. And these are all words that Paul uses to describe you and me and our salvation that we have. And so I I have always been amazed at what we're about to read in Galatians chapter 2. In verse 19 listen to what the Apostle says for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live Right now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Pray with me. Father, your word, it lives and it's powerful. And it has the capacity to do what no other human book can do, to change our life. And so, Father, tonight I pray for Christian and non-Christian alike that the truth of your word would come blazing into their minds and into their hearts and that you would make the truth clear and plain. And may we never be the same. And may we walk from here with a greater sense of yieldedness and surrender because of this amazing new life that you offer to us. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to live as a crucified person? It means that I've accepted several truths about myself. Now, it means more than just accepting these truths. It's an entire way of life. But there are certain truths that, that every Christian should embrace. And the, the first is this. What does it mean to live as a crucified person? It means I have accepted the fact that I died to the law. It means I accepted the fact that I died to the law. We're looking really only at two verses tonight in depth. The first one is verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law, That I might live to God. You know, if you were to go on the street and ask people what the greatest problem that human beings have, you'd get a variety of answers. And they might talk to you about basic needs, physical needs that people have. Everybody should have a right to have a roof over their heads and food and a warm place to sleep and so on. Others would talk to you about the, the political situation in, their, in our country. They would say, the one of the greatest needs that we have is for a certain kind of leader and certain kind of government. And the Bible talks about us, that we should, in fact, pray for our leaders. And um, just in passing, this Tuesday, the Supreme Court begins hearing arguments concerning same-sex marriage, and so we ought to pray about that. We ought to should be focused on that. Others will talk about crises in the, around the world and say our greatest need is to respond to those crises, like the problem of fresh water or hunger or oppression of various religious groups, especially Christians, or the crisis in Nepal that's been happening over the last 24 hours as people are suffering. Human beings that we should identify with are suffering. And I'm thankful that we as Baptists are involved and on the ground even as I speak But so are others. And they'll say, that's our greatest need. That's our greatest problem. But but the truth, and what the Scripture puts up before you and me, the truth is, the greatest problem that you and I have is how to be in a relationship with God. How to be in a right relationship with God. That's the greatest need. Because all these other problems flow from that. People who are not in relationship with Him and don't know him in romans chapter 3 verse 23 it says for all have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of god you were made to reflect god to glorify god you were made for that and the average person has no clue that that's their purpose in life that that's what they were made for but that's what you were made for. And the reason we are in such trouble is because we have failed miserably at that. We, we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of what God made us for and what God intended for us to do. But he made us to reflect him. His character, who he is, he made us to bring glory to him. To help us understand the problem, in the Old Testament we read about how God gave the law through Moses and the law is a reflection of the character of God it is a description of how you and I can live in its moral sense it's a description of how you and I can live in such a way that we achieve the purpose for which God made us to bring glory to him and in that sense the law the Ten Commandments and all of all of the law is good It is very good for that reason because it reflects and shows us something of the nature of God. Not everything there is to know about God, but what we most need to know in order to glorify him. And so in that sense, it's good. But here's where the law falls short. The law is absolutely powerless to help me do what it says to do. There's nothing in the law that enables me to keep it. And, and we are obligated to keep it. And it's not just because the law was published and now we're obligated to it. The fact the law has always existed because it is the character of God that we're called to reflect. And we've always been obligated to keep it. We've always been obligated to reflect God and bring glory to him. Well, what we learn in the Gospels is that Jesus met the requirements of the law. The same law that brings me death Jesus met every requirement of that law. Everything that God requires of you and me to reflect his glory. Everything, every good work, every good deed, everything, the whole, the entire way that we are called to live in dependence on God for everything that we do and everything that we say, Jesus did that. He met all the requirements of the law. And because of that, because I broke the law, and all I could see was judgment and condemnation And separation from God. And that if I died like that, I would be separated from eternity. Because he took my place and died for me on the cross. I have been pardoned. My sins have been forgiven. And that is true of every person here who's trusted Jesus Christ and the salvation he brings. And so the great problem that I have is is met in Christ. And he met the requirements of the law. What does that mean practically? There is nothing I can do to add to what he has already done done now knowing that with your head and living that at the level of the heart are two different things I can't add to what Jesus has done it is finished it is done but I still have this problem I can look at the cross and say well I've been forgiven Jesus has met the righteous requirements of the law for me on my behalf so what do I do now we have this old covenant in the Bible. The old covenant is God gives the law. If, if men and women keep the law, they will have a right relationship with him, and theoretically they could be saved. And yet no one can do it. Only one did it, Jesus. No one can do it. And yet you and I live as if, well, now I've been saved, so I'm going to just go do the best I can from here on out. I've been saved, my sins have been forgiven, but i got to keep trying to keep that law. I've got to keep trying to be good. i got to keep trying to fulfill all those requirements in the law. I've been forgiven, but I haven't been released from that obligation, so I've got to keep trying to do that. That's the old covenant. That's living under the old way, and that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is demolishing in the book of Galatians. He's saying, that's absolutely false. That is not what Jesus came and died for you on the cross for. He didn't die on the cross, so you could look at an external set of rules and say, now, just like in the Old Covenant, just like in the Old Testament, the way that I live, even though I've been saved, I've been forgiven, is I still have to try to keep that law. That's my assignment in life. But Jesus came and brought a new covenant, a new deal, a new way of life altogether, and We'll see this in full in our last session called Indwelled. But tonight, let me just say this about it. How do I live? Paul's argument through the entire book of Galatians is this. If you think that being a Christian is a matter of keeping the rules in your own strength and your own effort, you will always be miserable, never feel good enough, Never feel like you're in sync with what God has. In fact, you're missing it. The reason the people that followed Paul around were so offensive to Paul is because he went to Christians who had, been, who had put their trust in Jesus, and they said, yes, you're saved by grace through faith, but, but if you really want to be at the right level as a Christian, what you need to do is keep the dietary laws, and you need to keep the Sabbath, and you need to keep some of these other things that are very important to Jewish people under the old covenant and Paul said you're absolutely wrong and so the way that we live is not by looking at an external law and then saying in my own strength I'm gonna do everything I can to keep that law he's done something new and he prophesied it and promised it in the Old Testament and it depends on which promise you look at it but runs something like this I'm gonna take out the heart of stone I'm gonna put in the heart of flesh I'm going I'm to do something inside you that is going to radically change the way you live. And what Paul talks about, is, and we're going to get to it, but what Paul talks about is I have given you my spirit, my Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus led by depending on me and trusting me for everything that he said and that he did, I'm going to do that with you. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you, and I want you to live the way my son lived, dependent on me for everything. Trusting me for everything. And the Holy Spirit will actually enable you to live the kind of life that I want you to live. In other words, the, and we'll actually see this at the end of Galatians. There's a verse that says that the righteous requirements of law will be fulfilled in those, not through keeping the law, but by those, this life in the Spirit. By being sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit, the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Brand new way to live. This is the new covenant. You say, well, does it matter that I read about the Ten Commandments or read the Scripture? Well, of course, absolutely. The Holy Spirit inspired that, and as you and I fill our minds and fill our hearts with the truth, uh, we are giving that much more control to the Lord. By reading the Scripture and filling my mind with what is true, it is that much easier for the Holy Spirit to bring that to my mind, to bring that to my attention, to capture my heart, and to lead me on that particular day and so we should far from running from the word far from running from what the old testament talks about we should immerse ourselves and read it and read it and know it and and see what it says but you're not going to be able to do a thing with it unless you lean on depend on and obey the holy spirit of god and so through this amazing thing of jesus coming and dying from in the cross i died to the law the apostle paul says for i through the law died to the law that i might live to go to god and when you die um, and by the way we talked about this in our thursday morning men's bible study death in the bible does not mean extinction it always describes a separation and so death is separation means my spirit separated from my body my body's dead Um, if my spirit is dead, my spirit, my body, soul, and spirit, my spirit is dead to God, what does that mean? It means my spirit is separated from God and has no life because of that separation. If I die to the law, it means that there's been some kind of separation that has occurred between me and the law, and I am no longer obligated to the law in the way that I was because everything that the law required of me has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. You say, well, that sounds radical. If all the requirements of the law have been met, then you can just go live any way you want to. Well, Paul talks about that in Romans 6. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. He's saying, you don't even have a clue what salvation is about if you think you can go live any way you want to. Because when the Holy Spirit lives in you, is a Holy Spirit, and he is a king. And he's there to rule as well as to guide And encourage well verse 19 "Uh, the fact is I have died to the law so my relationship to the law is completely changed and so every Christian here you need to understand that that the way that God has called you to live is not by keeping an external rule system I've accepted the fact that I died to the law if I've been crucified but there's a second fact and that is the fact of my co crucifixion in Christ my co crucifixion in Christ he says in verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right now, breathing, talking to you, you sitting there listening, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's it. Directions for life. Now notice first, when we get to verse 20, We back up, we started at verse 19. If you back up one more verse to verse 18, he says, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. He has suddenly begun using the first person, the word I. This has suddenly become very personal to Paul. Up to this point in chapter 1 and most of chapter 2, he's just been kind of telling a story. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. I confronted this problem, I'm addressing this situation. Uh, here's the truth about justification. He talks about that in verse 16, but when he gets to verse 18, he shifts all of a sudden he starts talking about himself for if I build again, those things, which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. This is an an intensely personal message for Paul and he wants you to treat it in the same way. (coughs) So what does co-crucifixion mean? Two things I want you to see tonight. First, it certainly means that Christ died for me. Christ died for me. In the middle of verse 20, it says, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So imagine for a moment, you are 2,000 years ago standing at the foot of the cross. And there he is. He's dying for you at that moment. Imagine that you're standing there. And you understand that he is dying for your sins. That this suffering of the sinless, beautiful, precious Son of God on the cross, He is dying for your sins, and you're seeing Him die for your sins. And you know that because of what He is doing there on the cross, that you are about to be pardoned for your sin. That your sins are going to be, all the language that's used describes cleansing, your sins are going to be washed away by the blood of Jesus. And you see that, and you receive that, and you say, by faith I put my trust in Jesus and his death for me on the cross, and his pardon for me, and I receive the forgiveness that he's accomplishing for me on the cross. And so there you stand, and now, how do you live? What do you do next? How do you live? Well, here's what most Christians do. That's as far as they go. They see what Jesus did for them on the cross, that he died for their sins, and they say, thank you, Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. I've trusted him for forgiveness for my sins, but what do I do now the rest of my life? I try to be a moral Good person. Believe me, that's as far as most Christians ever get. Christ died for me. That's it. And what the Apostle Paul is showing us here in verse 20 is it goes much further than that. Christ died for you, yes. But what you need to see is that Christ not only died for you, but you need to see the second truth. I died with Christ. I died with Christ. So let's take that picture again. You're standing now before the cross. Jesus is dying for you, giving his life for you. And you see him shedding his blood and he is taking the punishment that your sins deserve, an eternity of hell in a finite period of time on your behalf and you're seeing that. But now something amazing happens. As you stand there 2,000 years ago, standing before the cross, suddenly you feel yourself lifted up and you come up off the ground And suddenly you're at eye level with Jesus on the cross. And then you move forward. And suddenly your life and his life merge together. And you are on the cross with Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. Now what does that mean for how you and I live? The word crucified is in a perfect tense. Not just a past tense, but a perfect tense. And the perfect tense in the original language describes action that is completed in the past. It's not ongoing. And the consequences of that action are continuing to affect you in the present. So Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It happened in the past. Well, Paul wasn't there. He wasn't at the cross. But he says, I was. I was. I was. You see, a lot of times we have the idea that salvation is an exchange. I give God faith, I sort of hand over faith, and he hands over to me salvation. I'm saved because I gave him my faith. He gives me forgiveness for my sins. That's not how he saves a person. You know how he saves you and me? He saves you by taking your life and uniting you with Christ. He makes you one. He does it through the union of your spirit with his spirit. But you become one with him. And union with Christ is the explanation of this language in verse 20. You are one with him. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, it's because you have been, he he literally was crucified with him. Every Christian that's ever trusted Christ, you were crucified with him. Practically, in literal terms, what is he describing? He's saying that as you sit here tonight, if you're a Christian, that because of your union with Christ, part of you did, in fact, die on the cross 2,000 years ago for sin. Part of you was buried. Part of you was raised with Christ to live a new life. That is the truth about you and me. Now, what does that mean? This crucified, what does that mean practically? Let me show you. I've used this before a long time ago here. Some of you all haven't seen it. And, uh, you know, you can't waste a good uh, good visual, can you? So, uh, nobody steal that blanket. That's my favorite blanket. This is my tombstone, by the way. This is my tombstone. Okay, now look at that. It's got my name on it. It's not very... You know, it doesn't have a whole lot on there. It just got dates, doesn't it? So 1961 uh, was when I was born. Yes, I'm just a youngster. 1961 is when I was born. 1978 was when I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Don Pusick died in 1978. That's when I died. Now, I got a physical death coming. But because I died with Christ, the moment I trusted him, I was made one with him. And my old life ended. My old relationship to the law, where I was obligated to keep it, ended. My old relationship to sin, where sin was my master. In Romans 6, Paul teaches sin is no longer your master. My old relationship to sin is gone. Why? Because it didn't master Jesus, and I'm one with Christ. And so sin is not my master. My relationship to the Father has forever changed. In Christ, I'm one with Christ. When God looks at Jesus and I'm in Christ, when He looks at me, He sees His Son. And everything true about Jesus in relationship to sin, in relationship to death, in relationship to the Father, has become true of me. The moment I trusted Christ and became one with Him. Now, I've, I hate that we can only do a 30,000 foot flyover of that truth tonight. But well, let me share a quote with you that, um, that is my favorite quote on this. Augustus Strong was a Baptist theologian in the late 1800s. He wrote a theology book, Systematic Theology. And this is what he says Christ and the believer have the same life, they are not separate persons linked together by some temporary bond of friendship. They are united by a tie as close and indissoluble as if the same blood ran in their veins. Not only did Christ die for me, but I died with Christ. And so did you, if you know him. I don't know what your gravestone would look like, but my old life is gone. My old life is finished. And if you know Christ tonight, that's true of you too. Well, let me share with you two or three implications of this. And this is not in your handout. But let me just share with you two or three thoughts, and then we're going to close. This is a new life that we have. This new life means that life is no longer about me. That's the first implication. It's no longer about me. I keep the focus on me, I'm all about correcting me, straightening me up, (laughs) making something out of me, trying to be a good me. If I put all the focus on that, I'm going to get absolutely frustrated. I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, who's just absolutely frustrated with his ability to be a good me. What I want to do, he says, I don't do. What I don't want to do I do. It's no longer about me. Second implication of this truth of being crucified with Christ. It's no longer a goal in my life to produce right standing before God. It's no longer a goal of producing right standing. The most sincere Christians I know often have a focus of how am I producing for God? How well am I doing? <laughs> am I producing for Him? Am I performing for him? Am I living the good Christian life that he wants me to live? But Paul says that we really are out of that business. We really are out of it. Jesus puts you out of business if you think your goal is to produce right standing with God. He says it in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness, producing right standing before God, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So stop it. Stop trying to produce a right standing before God. I do want to form new godly habits. We talked about that in Colossians last year. I do want to grow in Christ. I do want Christ to be formed in me. But how that happens is totally different than trying to produce a right standing with God. And so that brings me to the third and the final implication I want to share with you. A new life of being crucified with Christ means this. I just need to focus on Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul says. Focus on Christ who lives in me. My entire frame of reference for my life now should be on Christ who lives in me. I should go to the back seat. Jesus should move to the front seat. He should be on the throne. I should be off the throne. It's not my life. The life I live now in the flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live. And so, what does that that mean in daily life? You know, I think the first thing you and I ought to do when we get out of bed in the morning is praise God. Just praise the Lord. What he has done for you and me is good news. And my first thought should be to go right there and say, Thank you, God, for saving me, for giving me so much. Praise the Lord. And then as I go through my day, my goal is not to try to produce right standing and be good enough for God. My goal is not to be a perfect person. My goal is to be a yielded person, sensitive, responsive to the Holy Spirit in what I say and what I do, just like Jesus was. Jesus said everything I say, it's because the Father told me to say it. Jesus said, everything I do, it's because the Father told me to do it. The Son of Himself, He said, He doesn't do anything. It's all the Father, and He lived a totally dependent life on the Father. He lived as an ordinary human being. Was He the Son of God? Absolutely. Was He God in the flesh? Yes. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Could He have pulled out His powers at any moment? You know He could. When He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, those were temptations that only the Son of God could have been tempted by to turn stones to bread. I mean, he could have pulled it out, but he chose his entire life to live the way that you and I live, dependent on the Father. And so each day, my, my challenge, my, my goal, the way that I'm called to live is to walk in the realm of the Spirit, to live, do life in the realm of the Spirit, allow him to speak to me, convict me, guide me, lead me, prompt me, and for me to be obedient to him in that walk. And in that way, fulfill all that God has. For my life. Crucified with Christ. What an amazing thing that God has done for you and me. Have you been crucified with Christ? Has there been a point in time in your life? For me, it was the fall of 1978. Has there been a point in time in your life where you've come to a place where you recognize you could not save yourself? You could never be good enough. You didn't have what it takes. all you could offer God was a big pile of mistakes and sin and offenses, and that's all you had. And it seemed like the more you work at it, the more you try to be a better person, the worse it gets. The more trouble you cause, the more difficulties are created. When a person realizes that a life without God is absolutely a miserable life, a life without God is is hell on earth, that a life without God is offensive to God, and we come to Him and we turn from that, that's called repentance, we turn from a life without God and we turn to a life to Him. We say, Lord, everything you say is right. Everything you say about me is true. I am a sinner and I need you to save me. When we come to him like that, he has provided forgiveness through his son. Have you done that? Can you point back to a day and a time? Maybe you don't remember the date. I really don't remember the date. I remember the day. And I can tell you it was in the fall of 1978. I've gone back, dug through church records, all that stuff. But I remember. People who were there remember And I publicly said, I'm trusting Christ to save me. And he did. Can you remember that day? Can you remember that day when you came and you surrendered and you said, I quit. I give up. I'm putting my trust in Christ. Have you done that? Tonight, we want to call you to that. We want to invite you to that. Jesus is here. The same Jesus who died for you on the cross is here at this moment. We don't see him, but by faith, we know he's here. And he will save you if you will come and put your trust in him. And then, brother or sister in Christ, the altar is open. You can just bow your head when we sing, whatever you've got to do. But listen, God has called you to a, a new covenant, a new way of life. And he's never asked you to go back and try to do it the old way. He's asked you to do it this new way. And it's in this new way that you become like Christ. You don't become like Christ by trying to keep all the rules. You become like Christ by letting Christ live his life through you. He said, you can't live the Christian life. Only one person ever did that. I did, Jesus says. <laughs> I'm the one that lived the only Christian life. And I want to live my life through you. Will you come? Let me fill your life. Will you go to the back seat? Let me come to the front seat. Will you let me take control? Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We want to have a time of response, and so if the Lord has spoken to you, this time is for you. Pastors are here. They're here as spiritual counselors, spiritual guides to help you as you sort out what God is saying to you. We are not the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Only the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you directly, but we are here to help you sort out what is God saying to you, and how do you need to respond to him? Do you need Christ tonight? Come. Come. If you just need someone to pray with you about something that's happening in your life and you need that encouragement, we're here. The altar's open. If you have a burden and you need to come and pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for the gospel, the good news, this message that has the power to change a human life for eternity. It is powerful. And we praise you that it is. Tonight, we lift up that person here tonight who is ready and desires to put their trust in you, to surrender, to quit trying, to just come and place their trust in you. And we as your children, teach us, grow us in the truth that you have taught us tonight through Galatians and through Paul. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.